everyone welcome to burn it all down Lindsay gibbs here and for our interview this week i'm so excited to have julie kliegman the copy chief at sports illustrated julie thank you so much we finally have you on burn it all down yes thank you so much for having me it feels way overdue so today we want to talk about leah thomas and also where the ncaa stands right now in terms of regulations for transgender athletes. Um, This is a topic that's been in our burn pile a lot (laughs) lately, Um, but there's been so much going on that, I mean, for my benefit as much as anyone, I thought it would be good to kind of break things down simply, talk through the timeline, because it's really, it's really important um, policy stuff that's happening right now. And uh, there are a lot of people who don't want us to pay attention. So it's important to pay attention. Julie, first of all, just like start with the basics. Who is Leah Thomas? And like, when did she start making headlines? I think a lot of people have heard the name in passing a lot now. But like, who is she? And what what, what are the main things people need to know about Leah? Yeah, so Leah is a swimmer for Penn on the women's team. She is transgender. And previously, she had swam um, on the men's team. She started making headlines, I feel like it was a couple months ago now, but, you know, earlier in the swim world, for sure, uh, because she's been setting some program records at the University of Pennsylvania. And, you know, if you're a transphobe, you don't necessarily like that. (laughs) Yes. When we say making headlines, we mean not necessarily swimming headlines. Uh, A lot of outlets that have never once covered swimming, (laughs) you know, usually NCAA sports of any kind, let alone swimming, are suddenly experts and very interested in the sport. So a couple things to clarify first. First of all, when she was swimming, she was and is in compliance with the NCAA guidelines, which last fall, when she started winning these races, last fall slash winter, what were those guidelines? Yeah, so... The guidelines for the NCAA, it's a little tricky because they really apply only to championship events. Um, Technically, schools can have their own guidelines uh, that sometimes align with those NCAA guidelines, sometimes don't for the regular season. Um, But the NCAA guidelines until very recently were that testosterone had to be below 10 nanomoles per liter for a woman athlete. I believe they had to be to compete in the women's category on that testosterone for a year. Is that correct? Like yes. uh, receiving the treatments for a year. Did I pick up the 10 animals per liter thing? Or is that like, I actually think, and I was about to say, so I think the 10 animals. So up until literally last November, there have been two kind of sets of guidelines. And this is, I think, important for people to understand. Two guidelines that have kind of been the barometers for trans inclusion for sports kind of on an elite level. And even though it's not mandatory that everyone followed them, a lot of sports and federations and schools defaulted to those, right? I think on the NCAA side, it was the one year. Yes. And then on the IOC side, which is the International Olympic Committee, it was maybe longer than that, and the threshold was 10 nanomoles per liter of testosterone. So 
all of this has happened at once and it's all kind of converged. So I think the IOC policy came in in early 2000s. It's been updated a little bit since then, but not much. NCAA policy since 2010. And have trans athletes been taking over women's sports in this time? Uh, if people are wondering. Absolutely <laughs> not. I mean, you, yes. you see trans athletes here and there, but no one is taking over women's sports. And I would argue, what would be the problem if they were? Like, you know, if there's good competition, like that's what we all want to see, right? I 100% agree. Uh, I just do think it's important to know there really wasn't, it doesn't seem a problem. But right around the time that Leah was making all these headlines, I'm not saying these two things are related, but they happened in a similar timeline. The IOC decided that it was going to get rid of its guidelines and go allow each individual sport to set its own participation guidelines for transgender athletes. That's a whole nother podcast about whether or not uh, <laughs> I know even a lot of stakeholders have different opinions on what the IOC did there. But it's important because in January, the NCAA update its guidelines. So can you let people know what the NCAA did in January? Yes. So kind of conveniently, I think for the NCAA, they were able to, when they updated their policy, um, kind of refer back to the IOC policy and say, we're kind of following the IOC's footsteps. We're going to let individual sporting federations handle this on a case-by-case -case basis for each sport, basically. So technically, and I, you know, I don't say whether this is going to happen to anyone, but if you're a two sport athlete in the NCAA, you could be considered a different gender in each of your sports. <laughs> it's just, it's just a nightmare. And I know you've done, you, you talked to a lot of stakeholders. Does it seem like from what I've talked to the individual uh, sports kind of governing bodies and schools, are they thrilled about this? <laughs> no, I mean, there's a lot of like, there's a lack of clarity around like, for example, I'm sure we'll get into the USA swimming policy, but who's going to pay to test those testosterone levels. And, you know, there's, there's just a lot of confusion that I'm hearing about. Yeah. It seems like there wasn't a demand for this and just unclear how any of this is going to happen. But towards the end of January, I believe the NCAA announced this policy. But then under that, Leah Thomas would still have been able to compete because USA Swimming's policy, she still was capable. But then you alluded to the next thing that happened. So yeah. take us through how USA Swimming then responded. So USA Swimming responded with a policy update of their own that would require transgender female competitors to have a concentration of testosterone lower than five nanomoles per liter, which is, you know, a very low threshold for a period of 36 months straight. Where do you think, where does it seem like those numbers came from and those restrictions came from? Um, I have heard that from people that feel like it was targeted, very targeted towards Leah. Why would they feel that way? Well, they might feel that way because Leah as she told the podcast Swim Swam months ago, she has been on testosterone suppressing treatment for about 33 months at this point. So that's that might be one reason they feel it's a little <laughs> targeted toward her. And it's also just the timing, right? Like this comes down like 
a couple of months before she's set to compete in the championships. And so, yeah, the advocates I've talked to do feel like it's very targeted to Leah, both the NCAA change and the USA swimming change, I should say. Yeah. One of the comparisons I've gotten and heard is the track and field with it trying to stop Castor Semenya when it may, of course, intersex and transgender, not the same things, but kind of being policed by the same transphobes and just, mm-hmm. you know, gender policing powers that be and how the the IAAF's rules were pretty much just for casters events and for no other events. And that's kind of similar to now, it seems like what USA Swimming has done with these regulations here of the three-year determinant. Because as far as I've been able to tell, is there any particular, maybe, you know, that I don't particular study or science that points towards why this threshold would exist? No, there's actually a lack of science here in general. And that's, you know, one of the huge problems when it comes to debating things like trans inclusion in sports is if you're looking to hitch it to a scientific argument, you're not going to find a great one. Um, Joanna Harper has done some research into this. She's a trans female athlete herself. And, you know, what she's found is we don't have enough data yet. And we don't have enough data yet on elite athletes. We certainly don't have enough data on youth athletes either. Um, So these numbers don't really stand up to a whole lot of scrutiny. And we actually have uh, Brittany De La Creta is writing a piece for Sports Illustrated about how the IOC's testosterone guidelines have sort of trickled down to other levels of sport. So this is something that's been on my mind a lot lately. I cannot wait to read that piece because, yeah, it's fascinating. One thing, though, we do know um, is that for whatever it's worth, we do know that Leah's times as a swimmer, since she's been competing on the women's team, are slower, significantly slower than her times when she was competing on the men's team. So we do know that the regimen that she is on is slowing her time. So that's true. That's happening. So if any, sometimes I I like like to do these podcasts just so you all can like bust myths along with us, right? When you have your like myth busting facts, when you like confront the transphobes um, in public. Mm -hmm. So if anyone says that, A, Leah Thomas just came off the couch and started doing this, that's not true. Leah has worked hard at swimming her entire life, just like the women she's competing against. She's always trained to be a, a swimmer and a collegiate swimmer. And B, her times are slower since she has started the treatment. But now this is where I get really confused. So that happened, and it seemed like Leah would not be able to compete in the NCAA championships. But now, just at the end of last week, we got a ruling saying otherwise. Can you walk me through kind of like that level of bureaucracy? Yeah. So it's definitely a little confusing. Um more than a little confusing, actually. Um, <laughs> even before the ruling that you're alluding to, there was a report in the Washington Post that said that the NCAA was going to phase in like the USA swimming regulations in a few different steps. Um, and that the 36 and five numbers would not be in play for the winter championships. However, I'm not totally clear on where that reporting was sourced from. I'm not saying it's inaccurate. I just you know, I haven't seen that reported elsewhere or confirmed. And then, yeah, you get this ruling late last week from an NCAA subcommittee, basically, saying that they're erecting that 
the new rules not take effect in the winter championships. Does this mean that Leah is clear? I mean, well, probably, uh, but it's not something that the whole NCAA, at least as I understand it, has taken up yet. It's only a recommendation for now, though. If you read the press release, it was very confusingly worded. Literally every part of this is confusingly worded. <laughs> like, someone who's, who's writing about this for power plays, trying to sort through things. Yeah, every single thing. And it's all these subcommittees and bureaucracy and nobody really wants to kind of take um, action. But where it stands now, it seems that Leah Thompson is going to be able to compete in the championships in March. But... We'll keep posted and we will update you on Burn It All Down if anything changes. Every deep playoff run starts with building an amazing team. Doing the same for your business doesn't take a room full of scouts. You just need Indeed. Don't spend hours on multiple job sites looking for candidates with the right skills when you can do it all with Indeed. Hate waiting? Indeed's U.S. data shows over 80% of Indeed employers find quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed matches their job description the moment they sponsor a job. Something I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because with virtual interviews, Indeed saves you time. You can message, schedule, and interview top talent all in one place. Indeed knows that when you're growing your business, you have to make every dollar count. That's why when you sponsor a job, you only pay for quality applications from resumes in our database matching your job description. Visit indeed.com slash blue wire to start hiring today. Just go to indeed.com slash blue wire. That's indeed.com slash blue wire. Terms and conditions apply. Cost per application pricing not available for everyone. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I want to kind of take a wider lens, though, here a little bit, because, you know, Leah Thomas is a news peg and I don't want to I hate putting this much attention on her, but I also don't want the only people talking about her to be the um, bigots, right, who are trying to do the headlines and and spread information. So I think it's important um, to be educated on the facts of what's going on there. But obviously, this is way bigger than just with Leah. With, when the NCAA policy came down, so when they decided to quote unquote follow the IOC's change to make it a sport by sport, you reported on Sports Illustrated about um, somebody who was on a diversity committee who decided to step down from that committee. Can you tell me what happened there? Yeah, so Rhea Debussy was in a volunteer facilitator on Division III's LGBTQ1 program, the only program of its kind in the NCAA. And they stepped down because, you know, they just weren't happy with this policy and didn't feel like the NCAA has been respecting trans athletes. And they were, I believe, the only openly trans facilitator out of 50-something in this group. Um, So... You know, I thought it was important to highlight because there aren't that many LGBTQ focus groups in the NCAA. There's the Division Three committee, and the out of that group came LGBTQ one program, um, and that's really all there is in terms of groups that are solely focused on LGBTQ inclusion. 
Yeah, I was actually stunned to recently find that out. I was talking with the Division Three program, and I was like, well, uh, who are your sibling programs in the other divisions? And to find out that there are diversity committees on the other divisions, but none specific to LGBTQ uh, inclusion, which is... I don't know, very depressing. And one of the quotes from the letter that you reported on, which uh, Athlete Ally released in full, was Debussy had said, I'm deeply troubled by what appears to be a devolving level of active, effective, committed, and equitable sport support for gender diverse student athletes within the NCAA's leadership. And the word devolving really stuck with me because – First of all, like as we've discussed, they've had this policy in place since 2010. And, you know, we don't give the NCAA credit for much because they do not deserve it ever. But uh, around 2015, 2016, when the bathroom bills, as they were dubbed, started kind of spreading across the nation, which were banning to, you know, to make a complicated subject short, essentially preventing trans uh, people from using the bathrooms based on their gender identity. And, these were popping up in conservative spaces. The NCAA actually played a kind of a significant role in stopping the movement. Am I like, like can you re- refresh people's memory on what seems like a literal lifetime ago? <laughs> yeah. So as the bathroom bills were spreading, the only state they successfully passed in was North Carolina. Though I should say in this current legislative session, some states are bringing back bathrooms bathroom bills. Um, but yeah, so the bathroom bill passed in North Carolina. Cool, cool. <laughs> yeah, very cool, right? Um, so a lot of organizations started pulling events like concerts and stuff like that out of North Carolina. Um, I believe the NBA pulled, was it the All-Star game? It was, yeah. Okay, yeah. And the NCAA was kind of a little later to the fray than most of these groups, but they did pull out um championship events from North Carolina which just I live in North Carolina and that's a big because they were it was the men's basketball which is God here in North Carolina Mm -hmm. I mean it's hard to explain to anyone it's like Georgia with college football like how big these men's basketball games are in North Carolina it was like a DEFCON event when these championships got pulled yeah so where I assume where you're going with this is that as anti-trans sports bills uh, started getting introduced and passed first in Idaho in 2020 in many additional states last year, and they're moving through states' legislatures this year already. The NCAA did not act to remove championship events in those states. They even scheduled some new ones, I think. So, uh, and this is despite athletes banding together and protesting this move. Um, hundreds were signing an athlete ally letter and, you know, coordinating other efforts to um, keep championship events out of these states. But the NCAA did not take the same action as it did against the bathroom bills. You know, it just seems like it was almost foreshadowing now its policy change, right? Like, as WC kind of said, it's this devolving level of support because ultimately, HB2 was not perfectly overturned, but it was overturned. That was the bathroom bill in North Carolina. Like they changed that policy because they wanted to keep championships. Um, And one of the things that I'm particularly concerned about all of it, of course, but do you feel that this framing 
that anti-trans activists are using to protect women's sports, that they are enacting these trans bans because they care about women's sports. Do you feel like that's an effective framework that is influencing this discussion or, you know, like whether the action that people take on these bills? I feel like they have had some success with that strategy um, because Title IX and women's equality appeals to a lot of people. But as I reported recently, it's kind of easy to see through this logic of, well, we're protecting women's sports because some of these states that are passing the anti-trans sports bans are also banning trans boys and men from sports. You know, I called up legislators and asked them why, and, you know, they don't have good answers. Yeah, that feature, I was going to ask you about that next, that feature is so good because it does just kind of get right to the heart of how silly this can be, like, at times. Just, like, and how the people who are actually making these rules aren't really engaged with the issue. They just kind of are looking at it from a very, very surface level. Where do you see things headed Next, you know, I don't know, you can take that as broadly or as limited as you want, maybe just for the NCAA or with these bills in general. I know that's a big question, but, you know, as we look forward, what should we be on the lookout for? Yeah, well, I think in the NCAA, assuming Leah does get to compete, I mean, I think there's probably going to be backlash with other sporting federations where there might be trans athletes in colleges. Um So I think we got to keep an eye out for different sporting federations updating their own policies like we saw with USA Swimming. And then on the state level, I I think we really have to watch out for these anti-trans sports bills moving through legislatures because they have been passing and they, you know, they have been more successful than bathroom bills. So I think we have to look out for that. In addition, of course, paying attention to the anti-trans healthcare bills moving through. Right. They're all tied together. And um, it's pretty terrifying. And I know I was recently talking with um, you know someone who works in the system and they said the other side, the anti-trans side, very organized, a lot of money on that side and a lot of power on that side. Whereas, I don't know, I'm sure you've heard the same thing, but it seems like I mean, there's Athlete Ally, of course, it's doing great work, but a lot of LGBTQ groups that aren't sports specific have not been as active on the issue of these sports bans. Why do you think that is? You know, I'm kind of at a loss. Um, I think part of it is, yeah, just the opposition does seem more organized. Um, I've seen HRC here and there um, protest uh, anti-trans laws, Um, but I think with sports, it's a little bit tricky because everyone feels like it's kind of, I mean, not to put words in anybody's mouth specifically, but sports are seen as like lowbrow or frivolous or unimportant, but you know, that couldn't be further from the truth because as Chris Mosier, the, you know, a trans athlete and activist himself told me, these bands are about erasing trans people from everyday life. And so they need to be taken really seriously and advocacy groups that aren't solely focused on trans people. I mean, that's another issue I think is that sometimes those groups represent gay, lesbian, bisexual people much more than they represent the T. So, you know, I I think that needs to change. Yeah, absolutely. And I also just, you know, I think there's a lot of misunderstanding of the issue and I, I do fear that, 
I fear that phrase, that Protect Women's Sports Act. And, you know, it's why I want to urge all of our listeners, you know, to really fight against this because I think there's few things that piss me off as much as using women's sports as an excuse to discriminate against others, <laughs> as an excuse to further marginalize groups. And there's just like literally no reason that should be happening. Women's sports are better than ever. And trans inclusion has been around for decades at this point. And trans people have always existed. So there's just no point. Uh, any final thoughts, Julie? Yeah, I guess just to build off what you were saying, like when I was talking to Chase Strangio, the lawyer at the ACLU fighting these cases, um, like the anti-trans sports bans, he was kind of pointing out the same thing that like, you know, if people were really serious about protecting women's sports or furthering women's sports, you know, what are people doing about the abusive coaching situations? Like the ones we've seen not only at the NWSL, but also on the youth level. I mean, what are they doing to get more girls access to sports at a young age? You know, there are concrete things we could be doing. And it's bizarre that trans athletes have become the focus. It's it's disgusting. And it was funny. I was laughing a lot. Laughing so you don't cry <laughs> laughing, you know, with uh, some people at Athlete Alex. It's like the NCAA literally just released this huge unredacted report on how poor they are with gender equity. They have a step-by-step -step playbook. And I did a big series on it in Power Plays. Like there's like hundreds of pages of things they need to do to treat women's sports better and to give more access to women's sports. And not a single page in there has anything to do with stopping trans athletes. And yet that's the thing they're focusing on right now. Like you can't make this shit up. You can't make this shit up. Yep. Well, Julie, where can people follow you? And uh, yeah, where, where can people follow your work? Well, at Sports Illustrated, of course. And I'm on Twitter at, at JM Kliegman. Thank you so, so much for joining us, Julie. We really appreciate it. And we'll have you back, hopefully, under happier circumstances. One day, we're just going to have interviews about all the good news that's happening. <laughs> that sounds great. Thank you so much, Lindsay. That's it for this episode of Burn It All Down. This episode was produced by Tressa Versteg. Shelby Weldon is our web and social media wizard. Burn It All Down is part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Follow Burn It All Down on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Listen, subscribe, and rate the show on Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, and TuneIn. For show links and transcripts, check out our website, burnitalldownpod.com. You'll also find a link to our merch at our bonfire store um and thanks to our patrons um your support literally makes us possible if you want to become a sustaining donor to our show patreon.com slash burn it all down burn on not out